0: As I was thinking about uh, this uh, particular passage, and we're going to continue on Timothy this morning, pick up where we left off two weeks ago at the end of chapter 3, we'll be moving into chapter 4, it occurred to me that uh, that life tends to move in a, a fashion of cycles rather than on a straight line. And when you look at the calendar, you realize that we just passed... Uh, Halloween. We're coming up on Thanksgiving. Uh, we're moving towards Christmas and the new year, and after that comes Easter and, and all things. So there's a cycle that takes place with the calendar. Then there's a cycle with the seasons. And prior to this weekend, I thought we were moving from uh, summer to fall and getting used to that. Now I'm sure we're moving from summer to winter, and we just kind of bypassed fall uh, there. And I've also noticed uh, with having more than one child that life moves in cycles, that uh, one child comes along and goes through stages, and the next child comes along and goes through stages. And one of these days, I hope, I hope that I'm out of the stage of changing diapers. That seems to be part of my lifestyle at this particular time. But instead of moving on a line, as we sometimes think life does, I think it moves like a corkscrew, that it goes in cycles as it moves along... The line uh, towards God's conclusion of history and into eternity. And as we move along uh, that line or in that cycle, uh, we find that there are uh, happy times, upswings, and and downturns. We have smiles that are right side up and times when there are smiles that are upside down. And uh, lately, in the last few months, I've been struggling with uh, more of an upside down smile than I have a right side up smile. Uh, Just the pressures that I've been feeling uh, personally uh, have uh, left me feeling somewhat that way. So this passage has been a good one for me to uh, look at. It's odd how God sometimes uh, arranges things for us in that way. And that I've found that uh, numerous biblical characters had the same kinds of upswings and downturns. That Moses and David, uh, Elijah... The Apostle Paul and now even his beloved uh, disciple Timothy is in one of those downswings in life where things just seem to be a little bit tough and it seems to be hard to keep on keeping on and so uh, in light of that we realize that we all need to be encouraged from time to time there's always the need for us to be encouragers because there's always the need for us to be encouraged by someone else and paul knowing this he commands timothy uh, in this section to start carrying out his ministry in light of the fact that, that times are approaching that will be more difficult and paul is going to be leaving he's going to be departing into another realm and paul knew that people in general uh, would be uh, ones who would love themselves more than they would love god If you review chapter 3, just prior to this section, you will see that Paul says, In the last days, things will be tough, Timothy. People will love themselves more than they will love God. And in light of that, I want you to continue on in the things that you know to be true, the things that you have learned. And he concludes uh, that section by saying, All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be adequate Equipped for every good work. And then Paul, the uh, old, aged, saged warrior that he is, seems to be addressing his young lieutenant and telling him to move on out in your ministry because of God's word, because of the authority of it and the uniqueness of it. You can keep on keeping on. So let's look together at uh, the first eight verses in chapter 4 this morning. In the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and in view of His appearing and His kingdom, I solemnly charge you, proclaim the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but they with And itching in their ears will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires, and will turn away their ears from the truth, and will turn aside to myths. But you, be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Well, just what is it that Paul wants Timothy to do? Well, as we look past... uh, Actually, as we... I'm jumping ahead here. We look at the charge that Timothy is, is being charged by Paul in a most solemn way. It's as though he were coming to Paul with a summons. You might have received one at some time in your life. When it says you need to appear at this court at this time. And if you don't, you're in big trouble. Or if you're called to be uh, on jury duty. Or if you're called to testify in the witness stand. That's the idea. You have no choice but to respond. Otherwise, you would be in contempt of court. And this is the pressure that Paul is placing upon Timothy. You have no choice, Timothy, but to respond because of the presence of God and Christ Jesus. I'm calling on those, those authorities. Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead. Perhaps this is an uh, offhanded reference to the fact that Paul was in prison under the thumb of... Of Nero, and that, uh, uh, Nero was the one who was judging the living at that time. And Paul is saying, uh, no, it's the one who judges the living and the dead who is important. Don't fear the person who is the mortal judge, but fear the judge of immortality. Be cautious of that, and by view of the Lord's appearing in his, in his kingdom, he's coming again, and he's coming again as a ruler. And in light of all this, Timothy, I want you to do some things. What is it that he wants Timothy to do? Well, there's a what and a when and a what's involved here and the way in which uh, he's to go about that. All tucked into verse 2. First thing he wants Timothy to do is to proclaim the word. Some of you may have a translation that says preach. Well, that's not really the idea here. The idea is one who would be a herald an ambassador, you would be sent out as the messenger from the emperor or the king to proclaim the message that he has given to you to proclaim. So when you look at there and you say, preach, we say, well, that's what uh, Terry does and David does and, and all the guys on staff. They're the ones who are supposed to preach. I'm not supposed to. Cross that word out if that's what you uh, are thinking, because that's not the idea. The idea is simply to be a herald. And to proclaim the Word. The Word of God that's profitable for instruction, for training in righteousness, for correction. Those things. And he says, when are you supposed to do this? He says, be ready in season and out of season. Be on standby. Be on the alert. And I picture in my mind uh, a hospital. And they have uh, backup generators. Whenever the power goes off, On the main uh, circuit, they flip the big switch, put on those generators, they're ready to go full blast, and cover all the necessary power surges that they need. If you're not into uh, hospitals, or the way in which they function, you might be into sitting home on Sunday afternoon and watching a football game, in which case you probably notice that there's always a quarterback standing on the sidelines who's not playing in the game that's the backup quarterback but he has to practice all week long he has to watch films all week long he has to do everything the first string quarterback has to do all week long because he has to be ready at a moment's notice if the first stringer is injured or having a bad day boom you're it you're the man you're the one who has to do it or the relief pitcher who comes in he's always has to be always has to be ready and this is the the picture that Paul is painting for Timothy Timothy you always have to be ready Whether it's convenient or whether it's inconvenient. Whether you feel like it or whether you don't feel like it. You always have to be ready. And when you deal with people, here are some of the things that you're going to have to do. You're going to have to reprove, rebuke, and exhort. And uh, reprove and rebuke are, are so close together through Scripture that I sometimes have a difficult time differentiating between the two. And let me see if I can can help you if you have that same struggle. The idea here of reprove is one of to convince or convict. To shed some light on the subject so that the person could make a good decision. It's a matter of dealing with someone more on the intellectual level because they may be having some doubts, some unawareness. They may be lacking some of the knowledge that they need. They may be heading in a course that you see is not uh, real good and it's a mild way of coming alongside and saying, hey, the truth of God says this. I think you may need to want to take that into consideration. I think Matthew 7 seems to help us with the idea that if we take the log out of our own eye, then we're able to see the stick or the twig that's in another person's eye. And that's more the gentle, uh, loving reproof that takes place Uh, amongst us all the time, in the counseling that I do and in some of the counseling that you all may do with friends, that that's really uh, reproving as part of that, just that general talk and helping uh, things being worked out, straightened out, as opposed to a rebuke, which is much stronger, It has the idea almost of censoring somebody, giving a strong warning to stop an action or to prevent a particular action. And this is dealing more in the area of our moral character, our moral life. Not so much the intellect. Because when we rebuke somebody, they may very well know that it's wrong, but they've just chosen to fall in that particular sin. So we deal on the moral area and usually a particular sin. And this often happens in a confrontation that we confront somebody directly. Uh, Matthew 18 outlines some steps that we are to do as part of the body of christ in confronting somebody who may be struggling with a particular area of sin and i think of uh in my own uh, short time here that uh, one time there was a high school student who was making professions of uh, christianity and yet this person's lifestyle was not in sync with that and so i was left with little choice but to sit down with this person and say hey you're doing one thing And saying another, there's some inconsistency here. You're choosing to walk in a path contrary to what God is asking you to do. And the neat thing in that particular instance, this person who is several years older now, is being used by God to have a a great ministry uh, with other people. And so it's exciting to see that, yes, God says we're to rebuke people in a particular way, at a particular time, for a redemptive purpose. And then, the third area here is to exhort people. He says to reprove, rebuke, and exhort. To come alongside, to help somebody. I like to think of it as lifting somebody up. And maybe even carrying them along a little bit. That you are the source of of encouragement for this person. And this is dealing on the emotional level. That we help the person out where they emotionally may be struggling. And they may be fearful. Uh, one author puts it that you repute, reprove the doubting, you rebuke the sinning, and you exhort the fearful, the fearing. And that may help you to put some, some handles on it. Uh, Barnabas, to me, is the best example of an exhorter. When he came alongside Paul, before he was the apostle, when no one else really wanted to be involved with Paul, along came Barnabas, the son of encouragement, picked Paul up, ministered to him, brought him along to a point to where Paul took off on his own ministry. And as I look around uh, in my own life, I see that uh, David has been that kind of a person for me. That in the last few years, there have been times when I've needed to be pasted back together. That I've just been in in shambles and pieces. And uh, David has come along and picked me up and encouraged me. Uh, John Barnes is another person who has met that need in my life as an encourager. And the, the gift of encouragement is one that I think I covet the most. I think it's one of the most desirous gifts. And I wish that God had given it to me because of the impact that I think encouragement has on people. And if God has touched your life that way, uh, be glad, shout hallelujah, that you are able to be used by God in encouraging other people. It's a very significant uh, ministry. And just because we may not have the gift doesn't mean that we shouldn't seek to exhort and encourage other people. I'm constantly reminded that as a parent, that's what I have to do with my children a lot, is to encourage them, sometimes to overcome the fact that I have reproved them or rebuked them, that I need to encourage them. And then he says, Here's how I want you to do this, Timothy. With great patience, with all patience, And instruction. This is the manner by which we reprove, rebuke, and exhort. We do it by having a very patient attitude. And this takes time. The older I get, the more value I see in being patient. And also by instruction. That we give a reason. A reason from God's word for the reproof, or the rebuke, or the encouragement. That there's supposed to be some substance to what we say. And these two go together like a hand in a glove, or like peanut butter and jelly, or uh, milk and cookies. Patience and instruction. They're inseparable. And they're like a a fine wine that they just improve with age. As we get older and older, hopefully our patience and our ability to instruct continues to improve. And Paul sees that this is, is necessary... If you turn back one page to chapter 2, in verse 24, Paul says, And the Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged, with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition. If perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will." that it's key for all of us. Not just those who we say, well, he's a pastor, he's a minister, he's a professional. But for all of us. Because I don't think Paul is making that distinction here, though the letter is addressed to Timothy. I think we need to look at the letter as being instructive for us as well. And then he's saying, Timothy, there's a reason that you need to be this way. Because there are fickle people out there And those fickle people have ideas and they'll go to where the teaching is to reinforce those ideas. See, sometimes we as humans choose what we want to do and then we choose where we can get that idea reinforced of what we want to do. For time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but they with an itching in their ears will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. There are some people, Paul says, who have an itching in their ear. They need for that itching to be scratched. That's a a strong desire or a passion that we may have in some area. If you picture a, a dog or a cat, if you've ever owned one, or maybe have one now, and if you scratch in certain places, they just cannot get enough of it. You know, behind the ear or on the tummy or... In the uh, hindsight or wherever, they just love it to death. And that's the image here is that people have these desires and they will love for those desires to be scratched, to be itched, to be reinforced. But it's not the sound doctrine that they're craving. He says they will put aside God's truth. They'll put aside sound doctrine to have those desires fulfilled. They will accumulate, they will find teachers who will tell them what they want to hear. And that was true in Timothy's day, and it's still true today. I think one example of this would be the Metropolitan Church, which is telling you, yes, you can be a Christian and be a practicing homosexual. There's no conflict in values there. No problem. God wants you to be whatever you are. Well, I think there is a conflict in values in there. I think God is saying homosexuality is wrong. But people will go to where they can be and in what they want to hear. People will go to places that will tell them, God wants you to be healthy and wealthy. If you're not healthy and wealthy, then something is wrong. Or if somebody else is telling you that God may have a different idea, that he's, he's not telling you that, that everybody is going to be healthy and wealthy, then you're saying, well, that's not good. I don't want to hear that. I want to hear everything that's upbeat. Whether it's right or not, That's what some of us want to hear. See, we will find teachers who will tell us the things that we want to hear. Because we've decided what we want to do before we decide what's right to do. And they will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside the myths. Literally, they will turn their back and just walk away. They will say the truth, I don't like it, I don't want it, I don't need it and they'll turn aside to myths the picture is they will wander say as a stray sheep would wander away they will wander after myths or as the way in which uh, i wander into my house and i hear the smell of the kitchen is dinner when i come home and all i do is just just kind of wander along until i get to the source of that uh, wonderful fragrance but that's the idea that people will turn their back on the truth and wander after myths and what are some of the myths that we choose to wander after. Well, we wander after the myth that whoever has the most toys wins. Whoever accumulates the most, by the end of their life, they win the game. Or we, we define beauty in terms of Joan Collins and not Mother Teresa. We say the beautiful people are the people who look good, who have the clothes and the hair, but not Mother Teresa. No, she's not a picture of beauty. Or, we go with Augusto. You only go around once in life, and we buy into this myth. So you've got to go for all the gusto you can get. Or, this is my life. I can live it any way I want to. I can buy anything I want to. It's my money. I can do anything I want to. Or, we buy into the fact that a fetus is not really a person. Abortion's okay, because a fetus really isn't a life. So we have society telling us that lie. And so we buy into that myth. We buy into the myth that male leadership in the home is male dominance. Whatever I say, whenever I say it, that's it. Problem in my house, I find out that whenever I have to tell somebody that, nobody listens anyway. (laughs) Or we buy into the myth that it's not cool to be transparent. It's not right to take off my mask. And to let other people know how I really feel, how I'm really hurting, how I'm really struggling. Because if I did that, they wouldn't think very nice thoughts about me. They'd think I wasn't an all-together person. They wouldn't think I was spiritual. They'd think I didn't have my act together. And I don't want them to think that. You see, we buy into that lie. But how do we tell the truth from the myth? By looking in God's Word. This is our standard bearer. This is our source. Every myth that we hear, we come back to the scriptures and we say, Is it true? Or is it a lie? And people in Timothy's day and people today are buying into lies. And Paul is saying, But you, Timothy, you hang in there with the truth. Because people are going to be this way. He goes on to verse 5 to say, But you, be sober. In all things, endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. So this is a point of contrast that Paul is trying to make with Timothy. These people are going to be fickle. These people want their ears itched. They have an itching there. They want to be scratched. But you, Timothy, you be sober. You be a man of sobriety, a man under self-discipline and self-control, who is not blown about by every wind of new fad, of new sensation that comes around. I want you to hang in there. And I want you to endure hardship. Now, this word hardship, uh, we tend to think of those things that come upon us that uh, often produce better character in our lives, but they may not have any injustice to them or evil intent. The idea here is that there is injustice and there is evil suffering going on. He's saying, Timothy, I want you to endure suffering, unjust suffering. I want you to endure the fact that there's going to be uh, evil suffering taking place in your life. I don't know anyone who likes to get hate mail or who likes to get uh, phone calls with people screaming on the other end. Uh, we in this culture don't like to be disliked. We like to feel liked and like we're pleasing everybody. And it's very uncomfortable when we don't. But Paul is saying, hey, that's going to be a part of life. If you're going to to move on with the Lord, that's going to be a part of life. That some of those things will take place, and they'll take place unjustly. And he says, do the work of an evangelist. Now, I don't know if Timothy was gifted as an evangelist, but that really doesn't matter. I don't know if you're gifted as an evangelist, but that really doesn't matter. I know I'm not gifted as an evangelist, but that really doesn't matter. Because God is calling all of us to be his spokespeople. To be a herald for the good news. To let the world know that God loves them. To let them know that he would like for them to know him. To let them know that they have a need. They have a sin problem and they have a need for the person of Jesus Christ. God wants each of us to do that. And so he encourages Timothy to do the work of an evangelist. And in this particular area, again, God has been working in my life. Because it's been a constant struggle for me. And you say, well, Terry, you're a paid professional pastor. You're supposed to evangelize. And I go, well, uh, maybe so. But I know it doesn't come easy. I know I really don't enjoy it. Unless the situation happens to be a comfortable one for me. And so I've gone about trying to to, uh, get involved in situations that would be comfortable for me to share God's word. I've tried to get together with high school students on an individual basis and just ask them some questions that they would expect me to ask them. And through that process, then to go in and explain God's Word and to explain the Gospel to them. And it's been exciting for me lately to see that that they actually want to hear those things. It shouldn't surprise me because I was a teenager myself when someone came along and explained the Gospel to me. And you know what? That person wasn't a pastor. That person wasn't a minister. They were doing something else from 8 to 5 during the week. And they found time to share the gospel with me. And I'm very glad that they did. And he says, after that, to fulfill your ministry, Timothy, go on to completion. Don't shrink. Don't fall back. Turn with me uh, to 1 Corinthians 12. Starting in verse 4. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of ministries in the same Lord. And there are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. You see, God wants each of us to be involved in ministry. Not just the paid professionals. And you say, well, I don't have time. I don't have the training. I don't get paid to do that. Hogwash. That's what God says. Hogwash. I want you to be involved in ministry because ministry is not something that we do. See, we've got it backwards. We think ministry is something that we do. No, ministry is something that God does through us. And it doesn't matter where we are. God can work through us in ministry. Whether you're at home, in your neighborhood, where you work, whatever you do. You can be involved in ministry. The example that we have uh, this morning of uh, Jeff, but also all the teachers who are up here. They are involved in ministry. Significant ministry. And if you don't think that's significant... Hogwash. It is. It's very significant, the ministries that go on with children. The ministries that go on with with people who are handicapped. The ministries that go on with people who are um, in need of hearing about the love of the Lord. Who have physical needs and emotional needs. There are ministries to be had all around us. And that's what God would like us to do, is to be involved in the process of ministry. See, Jeff uh, has left his formal Sunday school, quote-unquote, ministry of the fours and fives. But uh, probably not too many of you know that Jeff is the surrogate father to the Meridian High basketball team. And this is true. He's been there almost as long as the coach has been there. The players come and the players go. And Jeff is always there. He's in the locker room before the game. He's in the locker room after the game. He's at every game. I'm not even at every game. And I'm going there to try to see high school students. And Jeff's having a ministry with those people. He gets to know them. He's having a tremendous ministry with the coach there. But that's just part of his life. See, that's just ministry taking place as a part of his life. Now, verse 5 is a hinge verse that looks back. In a contrastive sense. And Paul is saying, Timothy, there are some people that are like this, but I want you to be like that. They are wishy-washy, but you be sober. And then it looks ahead in an explanatory sense. I want you to continue on in these things and fulfill your ministry because I'm setting sail. I'm moving on. God's taking me home. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. It's a beautiful picture here of a drink offering. That's a voluntary offering, a gift to the Lord that went along with other offerings. Done at the very end, and it fits right in with Paul's idea of uh, Romans 12.1, where he says, Present yourselves a living, holy sacrifice. That was Paul's philosophy of life. That he would present himself as a living, holy sacrifice. That we would present ourselves to God as a living, holy sacrifice. But the end of the sacrifice for Paul has come. The time of the drink offering. The drink offering was always wine that was poured out over the offering at the end. And it was a fragrant aroma to God. It was pleasing in his sight because it was voluntary and it was a gift. And Paul is saying, the end of my sacrifice has come. And that my time is to now here to depart. I think it's important to remember that that God is the one who sets the time when we depart. No one else sets the time. God is the one who controls the time when we depart. But yet we're not departing um, in a bad sense. Because the picture here is one of a ship leaving uh, the shore, leaving the dock to go out on a journey. If you can picture there, taking the ropes off. They're undoing the ropes and they're weighing the anchor. They're pulling the anchor up and then they're hoisting up the sails to set sail. And Paul's saying, I'm a drink offering. My life has come to an end and it's time to depart. It's time to set out on this voyage to another place. So Timothy, be encouraged at this time. Because I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course and I have kept the faith. This is Paul's view of the Christian life. A fight, a race, and a hanging on to the truth. He's saying, I fought the good fight. It's the picture of a wrestler or a boxer. And the reason that it's a fight is because Satan and his henchmen are in a battle against God and against God's people. It's a spiritual warfare. It's played out on the stage of earth. We are the the people in the drama. We are the ones that are affected by it. We are the ones who are involved in the fight. And it's a good fight, but it's a hard fight. And Paul says, I have fought the good fight. He's continued on. He says, I have finished the course. He sees life to be run as a race, not to the swift, but to the person who has stamina, to the long distance runner, to the marathoner, the one who trains. And the one who runs the race systematically, knowing when to speed up and when to slow down. When they're going to hit the wall. And when the finish is going to come. He's saying life is to be run as a race. And he also concludes by saying, I have kept the faith. Meaning he has guarded, he has hung on to that deposit that we talked about in chapter 1. That deposit of the gospel of God's truth. He's saying, I've hung on to it. I've never changed it. I've lived my life by it. I've clung to it. That is my anchor. That is what I hold on to. And I have kept that. So those three things should be reminders for us that the life is going to be a fight that we're involved in here. A good fight. And it's going to be like a race. But it's not the rabbit who wins the race. It's the turtle. It's the plotter. It's the person who who continues to respond to God faithfully. See, God doesn't call us to be successful. He just calls us to be faithful. God doesn't ask me to be like David Roper. He doesn't ask me to be like Brian Fisher. He doesn't ask me to be like Ray Stedman or Chuck Swindoll. He just asks asks me if I would be faithful. He says, Terry, these are the things I want you to do. And this is success for you, just to be faithful to me. And that's all that he's asking any of us to do to be faithful. For he says, In the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but to also to all who have loved his appearing. Paul is telling Timothy, Be encouraged, because the future is worth it. He says, In the future, at, a, at an appointed time, Down the road, there's the reward. And some of you may think, "Uh uh-oh, he's talking about pie in the sky, by and by theology. Well, yes and no. The fact is, we want the reward now, but this earth is not our home. When does the athlete get the true reward, the true praise? When does the victory parade come? The Kansas City Royals didn't have a victory parade in St. Louis. The 49ers had their victory parade in San Francisco last year. The Olympic champions get their real praise when they get back home. And that's what God is saying here. There's a reward laid up for you when you get home. There's going to be a ticker tape parade. I'll give you the crown of righteousness. And don't worry about it. It's stored up there makes me think of uh, Christmas time and i don't know how many of you have uh, purchased any christmas gifts for your kids but i knew when i was a kid where the christmas gifts were i knew where they were stored under mom and dad's bed that's where they were kept and they were kept there until the appointed time they were in safekeeping uh, except from us kids but they were in <laughs> safekeeping under the bed and we have a, a storage closet in our house now, and, and my folks, my mom's always ahead of the game. One of those people who's always got the birthday presents ahead of time and the Christmas presents ahead of time drives us crazy. And she sent this big box. I'm hoping it's just a big box with some little things in it, kind of a big surprise. You know, you dig down through the box. The kids will have more fun with the box than, than what's in the, inside it, I'm sure. But it's, it's tucked away. It's stored away until Christmas. The kids know that that box is there, but they know it doesn't come out until the appointed time. And the appointed time is Christmas. Paul is saying the appointed time is not not down here. The appointed time is when we go to go home. When we go to be with the Father. And he says there is a crown of righteousness. Now I'm not sure what this crown is. It's possible that the crown is some gift that God will have for those who have righteous character. It's also possible that the crown itself is our completed righteousness. Just as Jesus was given a crown of thorns, God may be giving us a crown of righteousness, of righteous character. We'll be complete. We'll be like Jesus because we will see Him just as He is. But be that as it may, the reward is the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give. Now this may be a little play on Paul's part to say, here I am, in prison, Nero is about to snip the thread of my life. And that's no big deal. My physical life. And, and Nero is not the righteous judge. I don't worry about what he has to, to say or do anyway. You see, the Lord is the righteous judge. He is the one that I am concerned with. He is the one that I want to please. Which makes me think, who am I trying to please? Or appease, really. Am I trying to appease my parents? Am I trying to appease my boss? Am I trying to appease the masses, the multitude, within a congregation? Am I trying to appease high school students? Or am I trying to please God? It doesn't mean that they're contradictory, but I hope that I get it straight that I'm trying to please God and let everything else fall into place as a result. Because God is the only one that is the righteous judge. No one else can judge righteously. And he says, this this crown will be not only for me. It's not just for the super saints. It's not just for the apostles. Paul is saying, this crown is not only for me, but it's also to all who have loved his appearing. And what is his appearing? It's the fact that he came and showed us who God is, and he taught us some things for which we are to respond That we are to respond to God's love. Jesus says, by this, I'll know that you love me if you keep my commandments. And that the Father will love you. See, if we respond to who Jesus is, as our Lord and Savior, and respond to what he wants us to do, that means we have loved his appearing. And he's saying, if those those who love his appearing, there is a waiting. A crown of righteousness is tucked away in a safe place, And it will come out at the appointed time not any sooner but you see i'm young i'm impetuous i'm impatient i would prefer to have my crown right now in other words i wanted my reward yesterday i don't want to wait for it but god is growing me up god is teaching me as i get older to be more patient god is teaching me slowly That this is really not my home. That I will be with him in eternity, and that will be my home. And that while I'm in this home, or while I'm at this location, I'm really on location. I'm to fulfill my ministry. I'm to endure hardship. I'm to do the work of an evangelist. I'm to be sober, not cast about by every new idea that comes along. As I'm involved with people, I realize that I may have to reprove some. I may have to rebuke some. Hopefully I will encourage some. Or I may have to be reproved or rebuked somewhere along the line. See, this this these eight verses here are really not just for Timothy. And they're not just for me as a paid pastor standing up here. They're for all of us. See, the Christian life... It's a fight. It's a race. It's a keeping of the faith. It's doing what God would ask us to do. And if you've been struggling uh, in your own life, as I have been in mine, hopefully these words will be as encouraging, uh, as comforting uh, to you as they were to me. That God is saying, Terry, uh, relax, be patient. I'm not done with you yet. You're going to have to endure things that you don't want to endure. But that's all part of life. Let's stand as we close together. Father, many of us are, uh, are struggling. Our smiles are turned upside down. Um, we're not feeling like we're on top of things. We identify more with Timothy and his struggle than we do with Paul uh, and his encouragement, uh, his excitement to be with you. Many of us face uh, difficult times this week, whether it's at home or whether it's at work or at school or wherever we may be, and we ask that you would give us your strength, your wisdom. We ask that you would bring people along who would be your messengers of comfort, of encouragement to us, that would help us through these particular times. We thank you, God, that you love us so much that you allow us to come together as we are this morning to be instructed from your word, to be uh, in touch with the rest of the body, to know that you really do love us, that you really do care about us. We thank you that there is a righteous judge who will work in our lives and judge us appropriately and who will bring all things into perfection one day.